This episode of That's What G Said podcast is brought to you by Cindy Carava, full service realtor. Visit cindycarava.com for all of your real estate needs or send an email to cindyc.realtor at gmail.com. Okay, this episode we're going to have uh, some MLB playoff talk. Some horse racing for Saturday We're going to uh, talk a little bit about Woodbine A couple horses to play up at Woodbine A couple horses to play at Churchill Those two tracks have uh, some graded stakes on the menu And then we're going to go through NFL Week 2 Each and every game The lines, the movement in the point spreads And which side will lean We'll give you our best bets for the week Ballers Episode 3 of the final season We're going to recap that We have the final two episodes of season one of the reboot for BH902 and Oda recap, and then WWE Clash of Champions. We'll close it out with a preview for the pay per view this weekend. Hope you all enjoy the show, and don't forget, get to CindyCarava.com. Hello again everybody, thanks for tuning in and downloading another episode of That's What G Said Podcast If you can, real quick, whatever you're listening to, if you're on YouTube or iTunes or SoundCloud Maybe you're on Google Podcasts, TuneIn Spreaker, whatever you're on, can you just go subscribe real quick? If you're on iTunes, a nice 5 star rating and review would really help Hope everyone's having a nice Friday, we're going to get into uh, Saturday, it's the 13th here, heading into the 14th of September Lots going on in the world of sports Have a little pop culture for you on this episode too With some TV show recaps And we're going to talk a little wrestling at the end of the show But baseball, horse racing, NFL All over the gambling slate Ballers, Beverly Hills 90210 And then WWE Let's get right into baseball The playoff races now As far as the divisions are concerned there aren't aren't a whole a lot. Uh, there there are two divisions where we could kind of say there's a race going on in the American League Central, where we have the Twins who are eighty nine and fifty seven, and they're three and a half games up on the Indians in the division. And those two teams actually play each other three games set this weekend. Big big three games, the thirteenth through the fifteenth of September. Then after that, the Twins' schedule is pretty soft. They have three against the White Sox, four against Kansas City, both of those at home, and then they go on the road, three at Detroit, three at KC to close. So seven with the Royals, three with Detroit, three with the White Sox, all teams that are going nowhere that really don't care if they win these last few weeks. So the Twins don't have the most difficult schedule down the stretch. The Indians really need these games this weekend. Really, if they want to... Make any run at the Central They have three with Detroit And then they play three against Philly Three at the White Sox and three at Washington So they'll have to run into Philly and Washington Two teams who are still going to be battling out For wild card spots uh, Out in the National League So big series 
for the Indians. And right now, where the Indians sit in the American League, they are currently a half game out of the wild card. So they're right there in the mix with a humongous weekend series coming up. Right now, the Oakland A's are the current leader in the American League wild card. The Rays are a half game behind them, and the Indians are a half game behind them. So these three teams are all separated by one game in the loss column, and it's they're just taking turns and jumping above each other every other day based on one win and one loss. It feels like this one's going to really come down to it with just 15 games left. We probably won't see a whole ton of separation from these three teams. And then it, to complete the rest of the American League, obviously the AL East, the Yankees have just been so good uh, all year long. Even with all the injuries they've had to deal with, they are 97 and 51. They currently have the best record in baseball. They are two games better right now than both the Astros and the Dodgers. So if you're looking at who's going to have the best record overall, right now it looks like the Yankees, who are two games up on the Astros and the Dodgers. That second spot between the Dodgers and the Astros is big. You know, let's say the Dodgers make the World Series and they have to end up playing. Against the Astros, if if they beat the Yankees, Dodgers definitely want to have the better record there. So, uh, Yankees going to end up winning that division likely by double digits. They're up by ten games in the AL East, and the Astros they're up seven and a half on the feisty Oakland Athletics, who have had a really good year. They just continue to overachieve, play over their heads. They've won three straight now, eight of their last ten, and they are right in the mix. They're currently uh, on top. For that AL wild card And over on the National League National League side of things In the National League East The Braves really playing good baseball As of late but they've uh, Lost a couple uh, and I think two of their last three And that's helped the Dodgers a bit Because the Braves were starting to really Tighten the margin between the Dodgers Out for the best record in the National League Dodgers right now At 95-53 and 53. They have clinched their 7th Division title in a row And their fourth in a row For manager Dave Roberts He is the first ever MLB manager To win a division title as a coach In each of his four seasons Pretty impressive whether or not you like Roberts And you feel like Maybe he makes some wrong moves That's the thing When we look back at the last two years Did the Dodgers lose in the World Series? Yes, but who did they lose to? Well, the really good Red Sox last year And the really good Astros two years ago I'm not talking about the Dodgers losing The teams that are not Better than them or really good baseball team And in the NL Central There's still somewhat of a race there The Cardinals have really taken control As of late, they have a four game advantage Over the Brewers and the Cubs Who are both deadlocked at 78 And 68 But in that division The Cardinals Still play three games Against Milwaukee This coming up weekend The September 13th through 15th weekend And then the Cardinals and the Cubs play Four at Wrigley September 19th through 22nd And then the Cardinals and the Cubs Play three to close the season At St. Louis So the Cardinals still have to play seven games With the Cubs And three more with Milwaukee We can still see a lot of movement In this division Big weekend coming up with Cardinals Brewers Over the weekend Cubs have to try to win two out of three at least and, and see if they can pick up a game or two. And then the National League 
wild card, it's pretty tight. As far as the wild card number one, Washington is up three, three and a half games on the rest of the pack chasing them. So Washington looks pretty good, barring a complete collapse down the stretch. They're going to be your National League wild card number one. And then tied for the second spot is the Brewers and the Cubs. So that's what's unfortunate. One of those two teams has a bad week and a half, and they could really drop out of any opportunity in their division and any opportunity to secure the second wild card spot. Because the Brewers and the Cubs are in the second spot, tied. Phillies, the Mets, and the Diamondbacks all chasing them. The Diamondbacks, though, they've lost five in a row, so that, that really hurt their chances. But the Mets continue to play well. They've won four straight, and the Phillies are still right there. Both the Phillies and the Mets, they're deadlocked at 76-70. and 70. So contentious in the NL for that second wild card spot, and it looks like it's going to be the same thing in the American League for that wild card spot. And as far as the overall best record is concerned, um, still... The Yankees, Astros, and Dodgers battling for the best record overall And the Dodgers trying to hold on to home field advantage in the National League About 15 games left for everyone before we hit the playoffs And I wanted to kind of take a second now A little deep dive into the Dodgers Go through what we think the playoff roster might look like Unfortunately, Alex Verdugo is currently shut down He had a one-game rehab stint and then he suffered a setback so it does not look like Verdugo, which is a couple weeks left, uh, will be able to make this roster. And and maybe if they win a series or two, maybe the type of, of player who can come back and help you out. But that's the thing with the Dodgers. They have a ton of depth. So do you want someone who is not 100% on the roster? That's the same issue with Rich Hill, who I had penciled in making the back end of the Dodgers playoff roster. But he had a setback. In his first start, he came back He pitched against the Orioles on Thursday He struck the first two batters out And then hit hit a couple batters Walked a couple batters And he was grimacing He did not look good And now he's going to have an MRI on his knee on Saturday He only threw 27 pitches So Rich Hill may not be on this roster now If he's not healthy Max Muncy making his return from the broken right wrist Let's hope he can come back and and stay healthy for the next few weeks. He would he's such a big part of what this Dodger team has done all, all year long. Really the last couple years. This is who I'm projecting for the Dodgers for their playoff roster. The pitchers. Ryu, Bueller, Kershaw, Maeda, Urias, May, Gonsolin, Kenley, Baez, Joe Kelly, Kaleric, and now I'm gonna say Stripling. If Hill doesn't get in, I'm saying Stripling That's 12 pitchers That leaves Yimi Garcia, Dylan Floro And Ferguson It's kind of guys that are on the outside Looking in And then whatever happens with Rich Hill For the position players I think You're talking Will Smith, Russell Martin Freeze, Bellinger Max Muncy Kiki Hernandez I'm going to say Gavin Lux, Corey Seager, Chris Taylor, Justin Turner, Jock, AJ Pollock, Beatty. I think that leaves out Barnes, Verdugo, Negron, Jerko. 
I actually like Negron and his versatility, but if he's one of the few that that you left out, he didn't really have enough here. Barnes is the one where if they want to go Barnes as a third catcher or even instead of Martin because of Barnes' versatility, he, he's a little faster. He could pinch run for you late in the game if you need. He could play some second base if, if you need and move someone else around. So we'll see, but... If the the real keys are the injuries to Rich Hill and to Verdugo, and if they have an opportunity to make it, Justin Turner's missed a few games recently with a left ankle. I think it's more precautionary than anything. It's kind of giving him some time. See what that Dodger playoff roster looks like in a few weeks as they have clinched another NL West title. Let's get into some horse racing for Saturday. Uh, a couple big days. First at Churchill, there are some of the two-year-old graded stakes races with the Pocahontas and the Iroquois. Let's get to race number seven. First at Churchill. And what I like is the number three, Meadow Dance. Now, when you look at the running line for Meadow Dance, it's a little deceiving. It doesn't really tell you too much. About the slow start that Meadow Dance had, broke was on, drawn to the outside, broke out and was last, and then moved from last to first, got the lead right around the time uh, of the first quarter, and I mean, after completely missing the start, she breaks out, she hops, she's four lengths behind the field, she moves up quickly on the outside to the lead, she opens up, repels a couple challenges, and then. Starts to draw away again She was the heavy favorite that day And she was making her second start of the year Now she's going to go Third start She had plenty of time to recover from that August 3rd effort Third start of the year And she's never really run a bad race You know, she won her career debut Then she stepped up into Stakes Company Right after in career start number 2 Career start number 3 She hooks Restless Rider Who was a a top 2 year old last year and then she hooks Need Supervision, who is in the middle of a three-race win streak, came out of that to win a stakes race over at Fairgrounds. I think Meadow Dance in this race is the speed of the speed, right? Divine Queen from the rail. She's quick, but she's more route speed. Upset Brewing has a little sprint speed, but I don't think is as quick as Meadow Dance. Honey Bunny isn't as quick. Headland is quick She might be I think the Most likely one To push Meadow Dance Awestruck I don't think is quick She has some speed but not as quick uh, America's Tail Ascot Day will, will likely try to sit From a good outside spot where, she, where she's able to just kind of press nicely So I'm hoping Meadow Dance Just sneaks away from this field With the speed like the races she came out of as a two-year-old Shown some maturity at three And even The races where we say it was a poor performance From her at two I think it was just going a little bit longer She's she's at her best sprinting The number three, Meadow Dance Let's make a win wager on Meadow Dance If we can get anything Around uh, Four to one or so Off that six to one She gets bet down a bit I, She feels more like a a seven to two shot, so let's let's aim for the four to one, and that's that'll be our our line. Let's make her a win wager on her at four to one or over. The eighth race, it's the Locust Grove. 
just for as far as like rolling exotics are concerned, I like I, I think the uh, the seven go goo yourself is going to be really tough in here for JMS. Nice form right now, stalking ability should sit close, but can come from off the pace if they go a little too fast. Toss the race where she was well beaten by Elate a couple starts back, and then the form looks really good. Toss the grass race. Go Google yourself. I think it'll be tough in in race number eight. In the ninth race, I really same same like no strong opinion. I do just think the logical horses will be pretty tough in here. Portrait makes a lot of sense. Um, the Colonial Winter Blood Curdling was really impressive. Makes sense. Morning Gold really the only horse in here who's had the ability. To go long uh, Portrait who did it in the debut But Morning Gold who's on, the only one Who's actually done it successfully Going long with the, the Mile and a 16th win on the grass British Idiom Wouldn't talk you off So that's In a race where I like a lot of the logical contenders And they're all like the ABC Choices It's not a race that I necessarily love I'm always looking where I don't like the favorites That's that's to me a race to uh, that's that's more valuable And the 10th race though Everyone will be watching The really Impressive Last out winner Dennis's moment Dale Romans This 2 year old earned a 97 buyer <laughs> The comment line In the uh, past performances Demolished the field He was immediately up a length He got a little bit of pressure from his inside But he just sat nicely And when he was asked a little bit He opened up I mean he was really really impressive It was a $400,000 purchase But Now They'll try to stretch that speed out They'll see if he can stretch out from the 7 furlongs To a mile and a 16th And he'll have to deal with I think a lot more pace pressure There are some decent horses in here Expect Zeromid from the inside to flash some speed Rowdy Yates is going to be really quick Flute Maker isn't exactly slow Juggernaut is really really quick Lebda really really quick So you have You know between Juggernaut, Lebda, Dennis's moment And Rowdy Yates alone those four And then with the fact that Zeromid gets the inside draw also stretching out I mean there could be legitimate speed in this race they could be going really, really quick. I think it's going to set up nicely for the deuce. Let me know. Impressive debut winner. And then the last time out, went second behind Rowdy Yates. It was a slow start. And he started, let me know, started to move up along the inside. He was right behind the leaders on the inside. But, you know, he's in that spot where he's tucked in. And it's, he's in tight, he kind of wants to go But he can't get through on the rail So he's kind of just waiting, waiting And then all of a sudden it gets a little tight So he has to take back and shuffle out of it And and now he's taking back all of a sudden He's lost a little bit of momentum But he's got nowhere to go Waiting for room, still traveling well Then he gets an opening in between horses But by the time he got an opening Rowdy Yates had already gotten clear that pace advantage that Rowdy Yates had In the most recent start Over at Ellis Park And I don't see Rowdy Yates having that type of advantage in here As we mentioned That's why we'll play against Dennis's moment Because I just think these horses will all soften each other up 
I think they could all be very nice But in a race like this where they're All going to be really going first All the speed horses Zeramid Rowdy Yates Juggernaut, Dennis's Moment, Lebda They're all going to be stretching out To the mile and a 16th for the first time So they'll likely be up even closer Still young Not quite realizing how to Kind of stalk and pounce as much Especially in a better field It's hard to sit off horses They all just kind of want to go Let me know The deuce In race number 10 at Churchill Downs Anything around 6 to 1 or so Worthy of a win wager On let me know And let's go over to Woodbine So Woodbine has a couple stakes races Just want to quickly mention Pink Lloyd In race number 3 Not a race that I will be Wagering on But really impressive Pink Lloyd Who is 21 for 26 overall 5 for 5 on the year Every career race up at Woodbine Just loves Woodbine And will be heavily favored In the the grade 3 bold venture That goes as race number 3 at Woodbine Folks if any of you are Looking to, to move To relocate You're interested in maybe Buying a house Leasing Selling You're curious in finding out What your home's value is Maybe you want to update your home a little bit You need help finding some vendors Landscapers, gardeners Or maybe you're having some problems With a a, a approval for a loan And you need some help with that Any of those services at all Any of your real estate needs Cindy Carava can help you out You probably have heard the name before If you're a horse racing fan Cindy is the wife of Jack Carava Who's been a a mainstay down here in the Southern California Racing circuit for the last 30 years I've known Cindy personally For the last decade She is one of the most honest and genuine people And in particular if you're out here in the Southern California area She is all over the San Gabriel Valley With her properties You can check out her website CindyCarava.com She's also down in uh, North San Diego County Rancho Santa Fe Del Mar So right around uh, some of the racetracks Santa Anita and Del Mar So hope uh, all of you will give her a look And give her the support that she's given me here on That's What G Said Woodbine Race 7 The Grade 2 Canadian And to me this looks like A race where I would single in the exotics with the two Holy Helena No knocks on competition of ideas I think she's a very Quality Philly Starship Jubilee has quality to her But Looking at Holy Helena's year So far it's been a pretty good one In particular her last three starts Towards the end of 2018-2019 She hooked a a nice sharp uh, Nice sharp one Who had won a couple races in a row Sequeas Bena And now since then Let's look at Holy Helena's last few Couple starts, in particular the the June seventh one at Belmont when she was behind competition of ideas. Holy Helena hopped at the start. She saved ground. She was sixth. She was about five off, and she was waiting on the inside. She just had nowhere to go, and she ended up getting bumped by a tiring rival. So she gets shuffled a little bit. She goes to the outside and in between She just misses third As soon as she gets a little bit of room late She starts to move Just misses third It was a brutal, brutal trip In the June 7th race 
And then like good horses do, you come back out of that bad trip, you get the job done. And that's what Holy Helena did last we saw her at Woodbine right here over this uh, race course, June the 29th. So now she's a little fresh. She was sitting nicely. She was inside. She was second. She was just about three lengths off. She angled to the outside. She waited patiently and then looked for a moment like she didn't really have a lot. And then when she was asked, she responded and she really just showed her class going by. I think she's going to be set up very, very well for this race. She likes this track. I think people will lean towards competition of ideas because they see the competition of ideas beat her. But Holy Elena had a legitimate excuse that day. So in uh, in the exotics here, I would make the two Holy Elena my exotic single, depending on how you play it. Woodbine, it's cool. You can get the that twenty cent increment in. This starts a a pick four. The ninth race is the other horse I like, and this is the Woodbine Mile. Total respect for the top contenders in here. Also, got Stormy and Raging Bull. I think they were both very very nice. Got Stormy. The Philly, she beat the boys last time out She did it really, really well Her year, if you're just someone that's looking at figures She has been really, really good and continuing to improve They've talked about how she's kind of the next Teppin I think she'll be in the mix The only reason why, at a short price, I, I don't want to play her on top in here And I'll, I'll play a win wager against her Is because... I do think that sometimes those races where there's a horse that runs off and the field is spread out by 10 lengths, those races play out a little bit weird. They're not your typical normal race where the pace is similar. Those races are different. Sometimes horses really fall into a good trip. Other horses get a little too far out of it. Other horses are too close to it. They move a little too close. It's it's just a little difficult. Prior to that, she was really really good also. So f- I think she'll be right in the mix, but I'll play against her with Synchrony. Who's just a real solid older 6-year-old now. He's going to be the number 4 in this spot. Pratt will be riding him. And he rarely shows up with a bad effort In the only times when he runs a little poorly It seems like it's in tough spots where he's a little bit overmatched I don't think that's the case in here Because Got Stormy's good, Raging Bull's good I don't know if Raging Bull is at the top, top tier of the, the Chad Browns Got Stormy is very, very good But I don't know how deep this field is So Synchrony may have a couple other Really really top tier foes to deal with In here but maybe not a whole field of them You see he's taken a couple shots At bricks and mortar He's been in some big big spots I like synchrony quite a bit Anything around 9 to 2 Will make a win wager on him He came up to Woodbine And he got a win under his belt Over this turf course He saved all the ground And he was on the inside He got pushed back to last He angled around widest of all just handled like an absolute pro that day And uh, that's how he's been He's coming up on a million He's earned 893,000 Coming off of a couple Really good years Synchrony, top selection The number 4 in race number 9 At Woodbine, the Woodbine Mile And the 10th at Woodbine Won't spend a, a lot of time on this one 
Because it's just not really a good betting race, unfortunately. Old Persian, classy, multiple group stakes winner, group one winner. And there's just no no real match for him on paper. From a pace standpoint, I really wanted to give Tizza Slam a shot because he's in good form right now. He's strung three in a row together. He's the local horse for course. He has speed and will try to get out front. The problem is, I don't know if he's as quick as Cooler Mike is. And if Tizza Slam has to sit behind Cooler Mike, will he still have that same turn of foot? These speed horses, a lot of times, they got to get out front and they got to be winging it, especially a horse like this who wants to kind of stretch things out a little bit. So I just I couldn't find anybody else in, in the, the tent to really build a case for, unfortunately. Just to, just to give you an idea how weak this group is, right? You look at the number three focus group, who is five to two on the morning line for Chad Brown. He was twenty to one in the Bowling Green, where he finished eighth of twelve. So he was twenty to one in that grade two, and he's five to two on the morning line in this grade one. Not the strongest in this field of six at Woodbine. Good luck at Woodbine and at Churchill. One more reminder, Churchill, the two horses I like, race number seven, Meadow Dance. Let's play at four to one or so. The tenth race, the number two, let me know. Around six to one or over. And then at Woodbine in the seventh race, the two Holy Helena will be the exotic single. And the ninth race, the four synchrony. We'll bet if we can get around four to one. Football time, week number two. So before we get into week number two, let's talk about how we did last week as far as the wagering. Was concerned College overall this season Now 3-1-1 one, one. We lost BYU-Utah early uh, And we had Boise State-Florida that weekend We had a Texas-LSU push last weekend Won the Colorado-Nebraska Won the North Carolina-Miami So 3-1-1 uh, one, one There Actually Give me three, two, and one because we had the money line wager on on BYU too. So want to be want to be accurate. So three, two, and one for college NFL overall. Now three and three uh, had Green Bay spread and money line. So we got two there. Had the Rams losses with the Falcons, the Jags, and the Jets last week. So three, two, and one in college. Three, three so far in the NFL. If you want to hear the college plays. Got through the college plays. You can hear them on the previous podcast where we gave out two college plays for college week three. Some plays for NFL week two. Let's go through each and every game and we'll give you our thoughts on each one of them. The early games 49ers at the Bengals. This game opened at the 49ers minus one and a half, and it has now crept up to the Bengals minus one. Over under is. Opened at 45, now up to 46 Couple questions here Nick Bosa, the number 2 pick For the 49ers Has some ankle soreness He has not practiced, but he is expected to play He beat the blocker On 28% of the time In pass rush in week 1 That was the highest of all qualifying defensive players And his run D Was really good, he had 2 tackles and a stop On only 11 snaps Tevin Coleman has a sprained ankle So it'll likely be the Matt Breida and Mostert. They're going to focus on George Kittle. He had two touchdowns called back there, and you could tell they were really 
trying to feed him early. Two TDs called back uh, due to penalties. But I'm just still not confident Jimmy G is healthy. He was just 18 of 27 for 166 yards. He had a touchdown, he had an interception. It was the second lowest grade from the pro football focus for any of the quarterbacks that had 20 dropbacks in week one. And the Bengals, with their new head coach, Zach Taylor, he coached under Sean McVay. He looked really good. The offense was moving the ball. Andy Dalton had a career high in passing yards. Boyd and Ross looked good. Eifert made a couple plays out there, too. Some question marks for the Bengals. Joe Mixon will be a game-time decision. If it's not Joe Mixon, it'll be a likely heavy dose of Giovanni Bernard. The defense for the Bengals looked pretty good, too. They really should have won that game against Seattle. Sam Hubbard, Geno Atkins, Lawson, they combined for 12 total pressures. And San Francisco, who will have to go on the road for back-to-back weeks. Teams to play week one and two on the road. This is a stat that I saw on Twitter from Ralph Michaels at Cal Sports LV. Teams to play week one and two on the road. Two and thirteen straight up and one and fourteen against the spread in week two. In the last fifteen. So I would absolutely I think the Bengals are gonna win this game. I like the Bengals a little bit more now than I did to start the season because they have a new offense. They have a new scheme. But the the problem with playing this game is is all the movement in the spread. I don't want to play this game now at Bengals minus one or Bengals minus one and a half. When it opened up at Bengals plus one and a half, so I, I would, if you if you feel forced to play this game, I prefer the Bengals. I think they're going to win the game, but I wouldn't play it because of the the line there. I, I feel like we got kind of cheated out of a couple points. Colts at the Titans. This one is currently at Colts at Titans minus three and a half, forty three and a half. I'm going to play the Colts in this game. And the three and a half is the key. Getting that plus three and a half where the Colts can lose by a field goal. Over the last 10 years, teams that have won week one by 28 plus points, which was the Titans, they won by 30. Those teams are one in 10 against the spread in week two, which means that everybody kind of jumps on the real hot teams on week one. And then in week two, they don't perform as well. So that stat and the first stat from the 49ers-Bengals game About teams playing week 1 and 2 on the road We're going to see that stat show up multiple times uh, Through this week This is a big week for Home dogs When you look at the slate You have the Lions as a home underdog The Giants as a home underdog The Dolphins as a home underdog The Redskins as a home underdog The Raiders as a home underdog The Broncos as a home underdog The Falcons as a home underdog And the Jets as a home underdog Let's go Chargers at Lions I'm going to stay away from this game This line is moving now And it's up uh, It's to Chargers It's open to Chargers minus 3 Over under 47 Over under still at 47 Now Chargers are minus 1.5 They're a 1.5 point favorite They have some injuries now That are starting to really pile up Hunter Henry hurt again That's unfortunate He's so good when he's on the field And now he's banged up And he might be done for the year He's on IR Mike Williams is going to be a game time decision No Russell Okung 
Melvin Gordon has been sitting out Not from injury, he's just holding out right now And Trent Scott Their starting left tackle He allowed 5 pressures And was beaten additional 2 times So he's not helping The offensive line filling in for Okung I'm going to stay away from this game I think the Chargers are just better There are a lot of home dogs that I like And Detroit is not one of them in here I mean, I, I hope I'm expecting a little better of a game from Kenny Galladay, though. He and Drew, uh, he and Stafford were not seeing eye to eye, and Stafford looked really upset. So I'm hoping after this week they get on because Stafford kept trying to defeat him, and I feel like there was just a, a little miscommunication. They were just a little bit off. But lean Chargers, but I'm not playing that game. I will stay. That to me feels like a stay away. One of my favorite plays of the week is the Bills at the Giants. I, I like the Giants a lot in here. And this is a lot of, of a numbers play Sometimes you'll hear me talk about Or not any gamblers talk about Playing a, the, the spot or playing the number Versus playing a team Or you know playing the matchup And when you look at a number like this I just The Bills should not be a two point favorite on the road Really against anybody And maybe maybe Miami As we see Miami throughout the year But I don't think the Bills are proven enough The Bills came back from 16 down on the road In a game that the Jets absolutely 100% should have won. And now we find out a few days later that Sam Darnold has mono. So he might have been sick in this game. Mosley, who is all over the place, he gets hurt, he misses the fourth quarter, and that's when the Bills come back and make their big come from behind, take the lead victory. Their defense is really good. But I just, they should not be a two point favorite on the road. This game opened up at Giants minus three and has moved five points. I don't think the Giants are that bad. Now, they do have a couple injuries to deal with this week. It looks like no Shepard. And one of the weaknesses for the Bills is against the run, where the Giants are just going to feed Barkley. Evan Ingram played well. You're going to get a steady dose of Ingram and Barkley. Giants defense at home will be a little bit better. Giants plus the two. Like, how much of this of that line? Like, what if the Bills didn't win that game? What if they lose to the Jets instead? What if you know the Jets scored a little more in the first half, where they missed a forty-five yard field goal and an extra point? Are the Bills favored in this game? Then no, take the Giants at home, getting plus two. Cardinals at the Ravens. This game opened at the Ravens minus 941.5. It is currently Ravens minus 1346. So spread's gone up four points and the over under's gone up five points. That's a game that I'll kind of stay away from because I don't when I see a line move that much, I'm either going the opposite way or I'm staying away. I think the Ravens win this game. Could the Ravens be up by 17 and then the Cardinals score a late garbage touchdown that doesn't mean anything? Absolutely. Their Arizona secondary will be without Patrick Peterson. Cardinals gave up 321 yards uh, on targets to the slot or the outside wide receiver versus Detroit in week one. Now they got to deal with the speedy Marquise Hollywood Brown, who was torching a decent Dolphin secondary last week. I would, I think the Ravens are going to win this game. 
actually pick the Ravens in a survivor pool, but I wouldn't play. I don't. I don't like the thirteen. I, I'd lean the Ravens though if you feel like you want to play this game one way or the other. Patriots at the Dolphins. This game opened up at fifteen. Patriots are on the road. They are opened up at a fifteen point favorite, over under forty seven. It is currently Patriots minus nineteen, over under a forty eight and a half. 19 point favorite No road team has ever Covered a spread of larger than 16 points There have been 4 Teams ever that were more than Favored by more than 16 on the road They're 0-4 against the spread And there's a narrative out there that because Of the Dolphins coaching Staff being Former Patriots coaches That maybe the Patriots Don't try to embarrass the Dolphins Maybe they're okay with You know getting out of this Getting out of there winning by 14 And they don't have to win by 40 And this Dolphins team Is not those teams But remember the Patriots historically Have not played very well down to Miami Even last year when they lost on that real crazy End of the game Kind of fluke Remember pitching the ball And then Gronk was in the back of the end zone And they got by Gronk I would stay away from this game The Dolphins look bad I mean if you watch the Dolphins, I'm sure you want to play against them. It's hard not to, but I I would lean to the Dolphins if I was playing this game, and I would not play. That's just way too many points. Cowboys at the Redskins. This is a game that I might make a I might make a play on. I'm not putting it on my list of of plays, but I think the Cowboys win, but that's just too many points on the road for the Cowboys. This game opened up as the Cowboys uh, as a three and a half point favorite over under a forty four. It is currently Cowboys as a six point favorite over under forty six and a half on the road. If this game got to seven, I'd absolutely bet it. And even one more click up at six and a half, I probably will. That just seems too much. I was starting to like it at five and a half. I think the Cowboys are good. This is a lot of points for a division rival on the road. The Redskins did not play that poorly. They have some injuries to deal with though The Redskins do And they have to deal with the new offense that Dallas showed Where It's a new Tweak On their offense where they were Play calling a little differently Kellen Moore They were A lot more play action A lot more movement before the snap Played well, but I'd still lean towards the Redskins if you can get six, six and a half. Yeah, I lean that way, but not not a huge opinion either way on that one. So you're football fans, you're listening to the uh, the the selections here. I want to let you know about Thrive Fantasy right now. Go take a look at ThriveFantasy.com or look at the Thrive Fantasy app. It is a DFS app for prop bets. So you know, you've played DraftKings or uh, FanDuel, different prop, different uh, DFS apps. This one is similar, but when you build your lineup, you're not building your lineup based on a salary cap. You're building it based on selecting 10 of the 20 props that they have. And so for every prop, it'll say something like Tom Brady over or under 250 yards passing. The over will have a point total, the under will have a point total. You pick over or under. And that's how your lineup is scored all the way down If you're into props You will love this It is a lot of fun It's just a slightly different 
tweak And you get the chance to pick a, a couple in ICE in case of emergency props and In case a game is cancelled or, or something happens When you go to Thrive Fantasy right now Use the promo code GINO The reason why I'm telling you this is because I can give you something back 10 bucks, who wants 10 bucks? I know it's not a million bucks, but 10 bucks is 10 bucks, right? So as long as you go to the account Go to Thrive Fantasy, sign up for an account Type in the promo code GINO If you deposit at least 10 bucks, you get 10 bucks right back Put 10 in, you'll get 10 back, you'll have 20 to play around with Put 100 in, you'll get another 10 back, you'll have an extra 10 to play around with Whatever you do, make sure you use that promo code G-I-N-O Thrivefantasy.com Let's get to the rest of the uh, of the games Jags at the Texans The legend of Gardner Minshew This game opened at Texans Minus 3.5 43.5 It is currently Texans Minus I've seen 8.5s and 9s um, Anywhere from 8 to 9 right now Try to get this thing as high as you can eight, uh, 9 if you can find it I like the the Jags in here The Texans played really well And what a tough loss On the road, Monday night Against New Orleans Now you gotta come back home on a short week You gotta play a division rival A defense from Jacksonville who was bad Last week and who has been talking And making a point of being more Disciplined this week Trying to play more like a team Tackling better, being better in coverage They were just bad Plain and simple last week But they were playing against a good Kansas City offense Houston has a good offense But their offensive line still struggled a little bit Tunsil was not quite great He still needs to figure some things out there I think that's just too many points Way too many points Texans are at home It should be like 5 It's all the way up to eight and a half, nine places Let's go Jaguars as one of our plays I'm not. Am I worried about no Nick Foles? Sure, Gardner Minshew, rookie quarterback. This guy can throw the ball. I mean, I don't know if he's going to be as good as he was last week, but last year at Washington State, 2018, among the draft eligible quarterbacks, he was seventh overall in passing grade. He was first in adjusted completion percentage, and he was third in turnover worthy play percentage. He doesn't make stupid plays. He's not a big guy. But he can make the, sh- the quick throws And he can make a lot of throws He's used to making a lot of throws At Washington State There's some great stories about him There's no Gardner Minshew the first He's Gardner Minshew the second He was going to go uh, Be a backup at Alabama he, he figured he would just learn How to coach from Nick Saban And become a football coach And instead Mike Leach called him up and said, hey, you want to lead the nation in passing? And, and he went and, and played quarterback for Washington State And Mike Leach, and he was good Had a really good year last year Houston's coverage wasn't very good for the, versus the Saints There are a couple of talented young Jags receivers I think the Jags are just going to pound the ball with Fournette Hopefully Miles Jack doesn't get ejected from this game Fournette was having a good game And they were right in the mix until he fumbled And then Casey came down And that, was, and that really... Put Jacksonville too far behind To stay in contact with that Really potent KC offense The Jags Plus the Nine, let's try to find the nine Jags Seahawks at Steelers I'm staying away from this game, this one's a weird one I did not like the way Big Ben looks 
Seattle didn't really pass didn't pass the ball well. They didn't play very well overall. But maybe Cincinnati's a little bit better than we thought with the new coach. It's opened at Pittsburgh minus three, forty six and a half. It is currently Pittsburgh minus three and a half, forty seven. I don't think the Steelers want to go to zero and two. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, this game is one of the one of those games that you just I'm staying away. Vikings at Packers opened at Packers minus two and a half forty six, and it is currently Packers minus two and a half down to forty three. People saw that really good Packers defense and Minnesota shut down Atlanta's offense in Week One. I like the Packers a lot in here. This defense is really, really improved this year. When you have a a defense like the Packers now do, I I think a defense that I think is as good as this Packers defense is. And you have a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers He doesn't have to be great anymore He just has to make a few big plays Like he did last week He was awful early on And then boom, one big play down the field That's all it took I don't think the defense is necessarily Going to be holding teams to single digits Each and every week But this defense is going to make things a lot easier On Aaron Rodgers And now they've had a week and a half After their their first game To get the offense ready With LaFleur they were able to see what worked, what didn't work Hopefully they can establish the run game A little bit better here Minnesota's coming off an inflated win Too they, they, I'm not saying Minnesota played poorly But that game looks Like they played a lot better than they did Because of some really bad Atlanta Falcon mistakes Kirk Cousins only threw the ball 10 times The Vikes rookie center Bradbury It's a bad matchup with the Packers Kenny Clark Let's go Packers the key number here is two and a half. Make sure you get that Packers minus two and a half. They kick a field goal, they win by three, you win. We win. Chiefs at the Raiders. The Raiders getting some money. This this thing's moved from the uh Chiefs as a nine point favorite down to Chiefs as a seven point favorite. Uh the line the over under has stood at 53, 53 and a half. Mahomes, he... Had a little issue with his ankle He got the ankle taped up And he did not He did look a little bothered by the ankle after He's, He was throwing the ball well still But I don't know if he had that little extra oomph That makes him Mahomes And the Raiders played really, really well They should move the ball against the Kansas City defense That let Minshew move the ball down the field Carr has always done very, very well Statistically against Kansas City I don't like the as far as the spread is concerned I think the Raiders are better than people thought this year I played the Raiders over on the season But from as far as that line is concerned I, I don't like it moving A couple points like that If I like the Raiders I'd, I'd want to get that 9 that it opened up at I feel like the, the Chiefs The 7 I'm just a little concerned with Mahomes So not, not a game I'm going to play That Chiefs-Raiders Saints at the Rams If you notice the way they scheduled the games there are only three late afternoon games: four twenty-five Eastern, one uh, four o'clock, one o'clock game, uh, four Eastern, one Pacific games. Because I think they want the focus to be on this Saints Rams rematch. It opened up at Rams minus the three. Now it's currently Rams minus the two, and these two teams are good. They're evenly matched. I just don't think there should be a point that the an extra point here. I feel like this should be Rams minus three at home. Goss home road splits, 
are unbelievable. He's such a better quarterback at home. Breeze not quite the same on the road. I don't think the Saints defense is quite as good as it was last year. I don't even know if the Rams are going to be as good as they were last year. This is just one of those where I look at this and I don't think I think the Rams should be a 3-point favorite here. So if you see this anywhere at 2, go play it and, and hope that the Rams can win this game by a field goal. Bears at Broncos. This game opened as a pick'em. And now it's moved to the Bears minus two and a half. If you can get two and a half for the Broncos, or even three if it's moving that way, and you can get three somewhere, look around, try to get plus three for the Broncos. You're going to have a home opener plus the three. Team that's been very good at home openers. And now it's the Bears versus their old defensive coordinator, Vic Fangio. And I... I was listening to a podcast, uh, the Bill Barnwell show, and Mike Sando was on there, and he made a good point. And he was talking about how because things are really scripted for Chicago, because he's seen what Trubisky is like in practice, he knows some of his tendencies for a quarterback who maybe starts to scramble sometimes. Fangio might really make things difficult on Trubisky, who did not look good in week one. Look for three. Two and a half I'm fine with But if you can find three that would be excellent And we gained a couple points on the way this line moved For the Broncos now Plus two and a half Let's try to find plus three Forty and a half on the over under But yeah let's go Broncos Falcons Eagles You know that Falcons Vikings game I think was one of the more deceiving games of the week On the first drive of the game, the Falcons got a punt blocked. It set up the Vikings on the Atlanta 21. Three plays later, touchdown. Now, Atlanta's down 7-0 instantly. Their second drive, it's their fourth play. Atlanta, Matt Ryan throws an interception. All of a sudden, with 8-22 in the first quarter, they're down 14-0 on the road against a good defense. It's impossible to try to scheme that way. Because now you can't run the ball at all They're just sitting on everything you're throwing And teeing off It made It pretty impossible for the Falcons to try to come back Week 1 on the road like that Down that early in the game But they're still hanging around Right? 12-22 in the second quarter They're driving Atlanta They're down 14-0 They're at the Minnesota 21 And they fumble So in the first Quarter and a half You have a blocked punt An interception and a fumble That set up three touchdowns For Minnesota and you're down 21 to nothing Falcons O-line needs to be a little bit better This was a tweet from Peter Bukowski The Falcons outgained The Vikings 345 to 269 They ran 18 more plays They committed fewer penalties And they won the time of possession they turned the ball three times. They turned the ball over three times that resulted in three scores, and they couldn't tackle Dalvin Cook. Take away those three turnovers, the fumble, the block punt, interception that all lead to touchdown. Obviously, it's a much different game, right? I know you can't do that. It's not that simple. And the Vikings got it big, so they they're playing. It's safe. They're not trying to, you know. Drive the ball down your throat They're just Not making any mistakes Trying to win this game Matt Ryan was really bad When he was pressured He threw two 
two bad picks. He was pressured and he could have thrown them away. Instead, he just made a horrible decision twice. Dalvin Cook was amazing. 21 carries, uh, 111 yards in that game for Minnesota. So for the Falcons, can they stop the talented backfield of the Eagles? I think so. This game is up to the Falcons plus two at home. This is going to be their home opener for Atlanta. In the game, this spread opened at Atlanta minus one. It's moved three points now. Falcons are plus two. Against the spread in home openers, the Falcons are 19 8 and 2, and they're 9 and 1 in their last 10, and they're 20 and 9 straight up. Atlanta plus 2 at home against the Eagles. Browns at the Jets with the news that Sam Darnold has mono. He won't be playing. Hope Sam gets better. And, you know, maybe that was an issue and a reason why he didn't play very well in week one. Le'Veon Bell banged up a bit, but he seems like he's going to play. CJ Mosley, Quincy Inunua might be done for the year. This game opened at Browns minus two and a half, and then after the news of no Sam Darnold, it is now up to six and a half. I'm leaning Browns. The Browns got to win this game because their schedule gets tough, and I think they should, they have to come back and play a more disciplined game after all those penalties in week one. Okay, so here are the actual plays. Colts plus three and a half, Giants plus two, Jags plus nine, Packers minus two and a half, Rams minus two, Broncos plus two and a half, Falcons plus two. Good luck this weekend in the NFL. Ballers, season five, episode three, begins with Spencer. He's in those interview clips where he's talking about being cut um, And he is Whatever he's being interviewed for Maybe it's for the the ownership now Being the GM um, Maybe it's for something that happens at the end of the season That we don't quite know Keep kind of flashing back and forth to those interviews And now we're back to current time Where Spencer is talking to the Andersons He lets them know Candace is out She can't be part of the organization They want Spencer to run things Joe, he's looking to put something huge together For their new place He wants to bury Spencer He wants to be a better version of him So he wants to buy an agency now We get back to general manager of the Rams Chuck, who knows now All the stuff about Kassan Teague The security guard shows up with more bad news The LAPD found a gun registered To Teague Chuck asks him not to tell him anything anymore He wants a little plausible deniability Spencer asks the agent Jason To be the new GM of the Chiefs Jason has to think about it He uh, appreciates the offer Jason who's been Ricky Jarrett And Teague's uh, agent among others Ricky Jarrett He's rehabbing hard And Jay Glazer sees him in the gym He mentions a possibility of Some TV in the future For Ricky Reggie and Vern They're getting Vern a tryout for League of Legends And Reggie still feels like Joe isn't taking him seriously Agent Jason Checks in with his girl She thinks it might be time for a career change She says that right after he's been offered This big job as the new GM Of the Chiefs She tells him to go talk to Joe And ask him what it was like working for Spencer And when Jason contacts Joe Joe 
wants to buy his agency. And then he mentions that Spencer's a nightmare. Ricky's partying with the old players. He's drinking. He's day drinking. He's all over the girls. And his buddy, DTD, is trying to, he's trying to keep blocking him as Ricky's... He's going through some mental stuff, you know, with the rehab and the injury and, and realizing that he might be done playing now. Charles talks to his wife about all this stuff with Teague. Now he feels he's kind of a, right in the middle of this shooting. He has information. And uh, she just said, hey, you know what? He's not in the morality business. Look out for them and for their family. Joe lets Jason know that Spencer is a nightmare. And uh, TTD keeps trying to block Ricky at the party. So he calls Ricky's dad to come. And he comes and stops Ricky from making some of the same mistakes that Ricky's dad did. Vern and uh, Reggie, they were interviewing with the League of Legends guys. The League of Legends team wants to make sure that Vern's taking it seriously, and and Vern is. He wants to drop everything, and and he's he's not even thinking football. The Andersons they call Spencer, and the bankers are in three million for the Chiefs. They just need to find a quality GM. So Jason goes to visit Joe to try to get some background on Spencer. He likes the vibe at the office with Joe, who ends up busting out a little uh, marijuana vape pen, poking a little smart. Ricky gets home and he starts to think about the. He hears uh, sports radio and the little debate going on. He starts to think about that TV idea from Glazer. He says, I can do this. I'm... And so he asks uh, his buddy to set up a meeting. Vernon's meeting with the League of Legends did not go well. He choked in the meeting and. Now Reggie is excited because the Cowboys just called They've come through with an $80 million offer for Vern Who doesn't even care He doesn't want it He's He wants to retire He said he already has money And when is it enough And he seems to be focused on this gaming career Charles goes to see Kassan Teague And Teague continues to lie to him And right there Chuck just cuts him He just doesn't want to be a part of it When Spencer continues to have these flashback interviews uh, he has a good quote in one of them it says, path to greatness starts with defeat Loss and rejection If you want to be endlessly motivated Failure is key And Jason turns down Spencer Spencer Will now be the GM Of the Chiefs Have a recap of episode 4 For you Coming up next week More TV time Final two episodes of BH90210, the reboot. And the beginning, when you saw this show, it was a little bit meta, right? They're playing a version of themselves. They're playing themselves in real life. But when you watch the episodes more and more, they're really having fun with it. They're making fun of themselves. And I hope some of you who maybe didn't watch more than the first part of the first one... Stick it out, give it another shot The episodes are on Hulu if you want to go rewatch them They're they're entertaining, they're funny, they're corny And they're starting to get a lot better Because they've kind of Just really embraced And, and gone all in and, and really laughed at themselves So in episode 5 uh, David, it starts with David Having a dream He's a famous singer, the girls are all dressed up In their black costumes with their hair up together and he ends up with his shirt off Everyone's happy that David's back He's back in the peach pit after dark And It was just a dream 
As he wakes up, we hear that there are bad rumors all over about the BH90210 reboot. Ryder got fired. A new writer was one without any credits who might be dating Ian Ziering. There was a fire that destroyed the sets. The production is millions of dollars over. They haven't shot a single scene yet. There's been diva-like behavior from Jenny with Wyatt, from Shannon through weird meditating and showing up late, and the financially troubled Tory spelling is unraveling. It was the first day of actual shooting, and Tori really self-conscious because she has a sex scene with Brian. And so that's a lot of this episode talks about how she's trying to get comfortable with this sex scene. And they all just kind of laugh. It's just Brian, but she's nervous. Brian's son comes to see him. Zach. Brian hasn't told anyone. And so instead of having him work as his personal assistant, he'll have Zach work for the 90210 reboot as a, a PA. Jenny's starting to really get along with Wyatt and his interest. She's taking interest in golf. They're going to go to the putt-putt in Sherman Oaks after work. And Anna, the writer, is a little nervous about the first day of shooting, but Ian calms her down. They're getting awful close. She asks him to Netflix and chill later. He doesn't really know what that means. They would joke about it afterwards. The actors are back on set. They're at the peach pit. They're getting ready to start filming. And they can't because no one will ensure the production with an active threat out there. The set was burned down. They, they're they waiting. They got to go find this crazy stalker. So the production is shut down and there's an HR investigation. <laughs> and says, that sucks. That's bites. This blows. Said, you can't say any of those things now. It's the... <laughs> they say, I miss the 90s over and over and over again. Ian does not love being politically correct. They can't film until they find the stalker. It's a little awkward with Gabby and with Christine after their uh, interactions. And Gabby has to sign a consent form so Christine doesn't get in trouble. She doesn't want to. She doesn't want to put her name on anything. The group decides that they're going to try to find the crazy stalker slash arsonist. And they start listing names of people who hate them Oh this was one of my favorite scenes Of any of the episodes They're going through and Gabby's writing down the names Okay who hates us who really hates us And she's like we only got a list of 125 So far Uh, And Jenny says she might have given Christina Aguilera side eye Shannon Doherty said I'm shocked we have to add people that we Accidentally offended There might be too many uh, Ian mentions Ivanka Trump Jenny mentions Wayne Newton Ian mentions Cheryl Burke Brian mentions Vanilla Ice Shannon said everyone from the I hate Brenda newsletter bitches <laughs> uh, Ian says the prop guy From the first two seasons They're just listing all these people that might hate them Brian says Ben Kenobi Shannon says Jerry Seinfeld because she stalks him uh, Cole Hauser the cast of Saved by the Bell, Paris Hilton, Anakin Skywalker, Corey Feldman. Gabby says uh, as they go home, they need to think of at least 24 names for each of them and send them in. And then, boom, it comes to Tori. She thinks she knows who the stalker is. She thinks it's Ray Pruitt, the actor Jamie Walters, who played Ray Pruitt. Remember with uh, that song, How Do You Talk Like an Angel? How do you talk to an angel <laughs> There's a, a scene where they all end up singing that A little later on It's just 
horribly corny. But they go to the nightclub to see him. They think it's him. They start accusing him because his character was the one that pushed Donna down the stairs. And that was the line that he says is stop acting like I'm not even here, which is what was spray painted on the doors of the set where they was burned down. And they all accuse him, but he quit acting. He's now a firefighter. He, he doesn't even know what's going on. Jason calls him. They they caught the guy. It was the obsessive fan with the red prom dress who they, they took the the dress from. And then they all have a, a nice moment where they sing the, the Ray Pruitt song together. Back on set, Jenny's watching the Masters with Wyatt. She's really into him now. Tori's still freaking out about the, the sex scene she's going to have with Brian because he was her first. And Brian's having some fun with his son, Zach. They're skateboarding. He talks to him a little bit about his mom and he kind of tells Zach that you can call me dad if you want. Zach's a little uncomfortable with it. Gabby is afraid to sign that waiver about the relationship with Christine because she just doesn't want people to know what she's doing yet. She's just a little bit nervous. Now we have the sex scene with Brian and with Tori, Donna and David. And Tori is really freaking out. She's asking if she's on her good side, how she looks, and she just walks off the set. And Ian sees writer Anna. He asks her... uh, she wants to go for a drink And then Netflix and chill So they're going to go out after work She's laughing at the way he said it Tori Notices something is up with Brian He won't really let her know What it is yet but he lets her know that it's not her He's obviously a little bothered by everything going on With his newfound son And Tori sees Brian And Shannon hugging so she's getting a little jealous That uh, Brian has a good relationship With Shannon who Tells Shannon about his son and kind of asks Shannon for help. Ian and Anna go out and they have drinks with Jenny and Wyatt. And Jenny and Wyatt are all over each other. Ian and Jenny end up talking to each other in the hallway and they, they're kind of making fun of each other about how uh, Jenny loves Wyatt and golf now and Ian is so supportive of Anna. The reshoot of the sex scene is early in the morning So now Tori's freaking out because she's tired She ends up hiring an intimacy coordinator Who is like a sex choreographer To make sure that everyone's comfortable in the sex scenes And this coordinator who ends up coming in is just awful Jason struggling with what's going on at at home And so he's, he's being a pain in the ass People just really aren't liking him He has to start to learn to take everyone's Thoughts into his direction They can feel his negative energy He tells Jenny that he wants to leave Camille his wife And he doesn't think he can raise another man's kid He even starts yelling at the PA Zach at one point And then Brian sticks up for Zach But Brian still hasn't told anyone that that's his kid Sex scene time The coordinator is So intrusive Keeps stopping the scenes They can't get anything done Asking everybody if everyone's comfortable with everything And It's just bad They finally are able to get some work done Uh, Anna is stressing Because Jason is making her do rewrites and, And they still haven't gotten One shot done And Ian and Anna They start kissing She stops him and she makes him sign a consent form And Gabby tells the group that she also was asked to sign a form And 
She lets them know that it was with someone at work She hasn't told them who yet And because she comes out to them As undeclared It inspires Brian To let everybody know About Zach He tells them that Zach's his son They then film the sex scene David is excited Which Tori likes in that sex scene There's obvious uh, Something going to happen with with Tori and Brian And the first scene is complete Of the new 90210 9021 old Camille uh, calls Jason She's in an ambulance So Jason rushes to be with her And we see an investigator That Shay had hired Trying to get Zach's DNA He grabs a bottle of water out of the trash Shannon continues to do weird things And she takes a rooster Home with her And that's episode 5 of BH90210 Let's get to episode 6 Which was the final episode Of the reboot season This one opens up with a flashback dream For Steve He goes to see his college self Or his high school self actually at the peach pit And he tells him to cut the mullet To get rid of all the belly and midriff shirts And to Get the legacy key And to pay that thing forward So it's almost like the you know back to the future scene Where Biff Goes back in time and he tells himself as young self what to do. So at the rap party after the shooting the pilot, they're all reminiscing, but they have to wait and see if the show gets picked up because the OC also did a reboot. So this final episode, they're all challenging the OC. They're talking trash on the OC and Mishka Barton, and it it's pretty funny. They have to promote themselves on social media. They have to do a great job. Because the OC reboot has Mishka Barton coming back from the dead. Tori already lost, is already gone through her money from the pilot. She, the her money got garnished by back taxes. Gabby ends up telling the girls about Christine, and that, that that's who she had to sign the consent form for, and that's who she's had the the affair with. Zach, uh, Brian, and uh, his son Zach are getting nice and chummy, whereas Jenny, uh, her daughter, is upset with her, and she's starting to. Take favor with Shannon She's starting to confide in her And um, And Brian and Shannon start telling Kyler stories About her mom, about Jenny Ian really Wants to date Anna but she just wants No strings attached which Ian strangely enough Which he's always not Wanted he wants to settle down with her He wants to settle down in general Tori's husband Nathan is not handling things well He forgot to pay the electric bill The power gets shut off So Tori goes to, to stay with Jenny And Jenny's already starting to You can tell she's starting to feel a little off about Wyatt I think he's just too Almost perfect for her Too lovey, too normal Tori mentions Jason And when her and uh, Jenny are talking And you can see that that Sparks an interest Right away from Jenny Kyler just continuing to become a big Shannon fan She's quoting some of her Instagram posts Shay tells Brian that Zach is not his son And Brian's really upset that Shay Took this uh, initiative And felt like They felt the need to do this Brian's upset (laughs) They keep talking about how the OC has the bait shop pop up And the 90210 has the peach pit pop up which one's doing better? Who's doing better on the social media? Mishka's been serving food at the bait shop all day long. So there's only four slots on 
on Fox And the audience is testing these pilots To see which ones they're going to pick up So Tori wants to, to get the comments from testing Christine tells her no way But Tori is able to Get the uh, results anyways from Christine's assistant Ian talks to Anna And he tells her he wants to date And she tells him you know what I can't date an actor My mom is one and I'm not going to be able to give you what you want But she still wants to see him She still wants to get down Tori and the crew Start reading the test results Tori is polarizing And she's endearing As Donna with David Silver Kelly Her middle aged struggle is depressing but relatable Steve is a Macho swagger Old school style It's like being in a time capsule Andrea's being gay Bi is funny These are all the comments From the test groups David Silver is improbably sexy And audiences love seeing Brandon and Kelly But they're confused by the sexual chemistry Between Brandon and Brenda So the, the, the crew knows Now they need to create some butts Everyone at the Peach Pit has been Kissing fans butts Taking pictures You know Posting things Trying to create a buzz So their show will get picked up And beat the OC Brian and Tori Start getting real flirty They're talking about their spouses And how they don't appreciate each other And Shannon's late like always And she's got blood all over She saved an opossum Opossum Come on Shannon Zach Shows up And Brian's upset Because now he knows That Zach lied to him But Zach didn't lie to him He really thought that Brian was his dad Zach's mom told him it was Brian And Brian knows who his mom was And they did have An interaction But Brian is not Zach's dad Nathan just continues to not manage things well With the kids Tori and him are arguing And now it's down to Just two shows for one spot It's either going to be 90210 Or the OC reboot It is not looking good for 90210 So Brian invites everyone over for a barbecue the next day They want to find out if if the show gets picked up At least they'll be together They can party, have some drinks Brian and Shay are not getting along well Brian's still upset with her for overstepping Jason and Camille They are on an island vacation They're trying to I guess rekindle things And Camille knows it's just not going to work They've drifted Seems like an amicable parent parting And Jason's gone He's single again Can't raise another man's kid Brian and Shannon They're talking about Zach And Brian wants to be his dad Even if he's not He wants to be into his li- in his life Wyatt got a tattoo on his chest of JG Yeah A little, little freaky A little too much uh, Gabby tells her to end it right away That's, that's just a little too The show gets picked up they celebrate. There's going to be a uh, actual season of 90210 reboot. Shannon ends up having a dream, and she's in her bed as Brenda. She's in that childhood house, and then her and Brandon start getting it on. They start hooking up. It's uh, what everyone was talking about with the, the chemistry between them. She wakes up from that nightmare. It's time for the kickoff party, and Gabby's husband as they're. Showing up at the party meets Christine And they all bump into each other Kind of an awkward interaction for Gabby I think the last two people she's been with Meeting each other Denise Richards shows up at the kickoff party And her and Ian are Immediately smitten with each other Shay and Brandon continue to argue about Zach Kyler's giving Jenny 
crap And uh, Jenny's obviously jealous of Shannon But they have a nice moment together Brian then tells Zach That hey you know what I'll be your on deck father Until you find your father If you need anything I'm here for you Nathan Talks to Tori Because he's jealous about all the The positive things that Tori has going on He congratulates her But he's he's jealous When Jason shows up And he's talking to Brian Brian shows him a picture of Of who Zach's mom is And Jason immediately realizes He recognizes her I think he realizes that he is Zach's dad Ian and Denise start hooking up Gabby talks to her husband She tells her husband about Christine But he could tell, he could already tell, he could sense it He could feel it Jason and, and Jenny talk They're both now single No more Camille No more Wyatt When Ian and Denise come downstairs We see Anna And Denise Richards is Anna's mom So of course Ian did the old mother-daughter uh, Where he had the relationship With the, the daughter and then the mother Tori and Brian Very much into each other You could tell they feel a little slighted From their spouses They like the attention that they get from each other And Brian even makes a comment You ever think that maybe you should have married someone That's a better fit And Tori agrees To the party All three girls show up in red It's a major miscommunication Just like the old photo shoot One thought the other was wearing red The other thought the other was wearing blue The other thought the other was wearing green They all were uh, Were laughing at this one But they don't have too much time to get upset Because Christine lets them know They're going to have the entire pilot reshot They're going to be replacing the writer Anna They're going to get a new guest cast So that means Jenny's daughter's out The network doesn't have any money So they're going to be shooting in Canada Which is is great because Jason Priestley Makes a a joke about Canada And Jason Priestley is Canadian Um, He said something like uh, We can't shoot in Canada And so they, they do a good job of Having... Just having a good time and really making fun of themselves There's not enough money to bring all seven of them back So one of them is going to have to go But not yet They have to go do all their press and media appearances A big Q&A And right before they get on stage Jason and Jenny They're holding hands So now Jason and Jenny With Some obvious chemistry moving forward Tori and Brian with some obvious chemistry moving forward There's this weird Brenda And Jason Or Jason and Shannon thing going on Ian has his multiple girls Gabby Her relationship with Christine And her husband I thought it was fun Hope we can get a, a season 2 Seems like Tori Spelling's really into it But from everything that I've read It seems like Shannon Doherty just didn't didn't want to do a second season Maybe was just thinking there was going to be one So we'll see, maybe they do a second season Or they continue on uh, And it'll be maybe just a little A little less Without Shannon or with the Maybe not the full crew But I thought it was a lot of fun Closing things out, WWE Clash of Champions Next week is the big week Because NXT debuts on USA So I think hour one will be on USA Hour two of NXT will be on the WWE Network just for the first few weeks Until Suits is done 
WWE Clash of Champions is this Sunday. Every WWE title on the line. The overrunning story arc is that Braun Strowman and Seth Rollins, they're the Raw Tag Team Champions, and they're also going to be fighting for the Universal title. So they will be pulling double duty with two matches, one teaming up and then one against each other. There are 10 title matches and then the Roman versus Rowan match. We were supposed to have King of the Ring on this show, but it will be on Monday Night Raw instead. I think they realize it's already going to be a really packed show. And the King of the Ring final now. Chad Gable versus Baron Corbin. It'll be on Monday. The Cruiserweight title, Drew Gulak versus Humberto Carrillo versus Lince Dorado. I'm just going to stick with Gulak here. I think he holds... On uh, Carrillo's got a lot of talent This should be a really good match on the kickoff Give him you know 12 to 15 And let him uh, get the crowd pumped up Women's tag team titles Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross Versus Mandy Rose and Sonya Bliss and Cross have done a good job with these I like their storyline I like their angle um, Alexa Bliss is one of the females That you could tell WWE is very high on Because they continue to give her a platform So I think when she when they have the belts these belts are at least a little more prominent So I think they hold on there Alexa and Nikki IC Championship Nakamura versus The Miz The Miz is trying to Tie the record for the most Intercontinental Championships ever And the record holder is Chris Jericho And Chris Jericho is currently not on the best Of terms with WWE So maybe WWE gives Miz this win And tries to get Jericho out of the record books it just doesn't fit from a storyline perspective and from a timing perspective. Nakamura has a little bit of a reboot going right now with Sami Zayn as his mouthpiece. I think if you have Nakamura lose, it just instantly kills any push you're trying to give him. So I think they're just kind of feeding uh, Nakamura a win here with The Miz. And they fed The Miz a couple over the last few weeks. He's gotten wins over Cesaro, Andrade. So at least he's gotten built up a little bit for this match. AJ Styles versus Cedric Alexander for the United States Championship. I hope Cedric wins this match, and I hope they give these guys 15 because this could definitely be the match of the night. Both of these guys can really, really go. And AJ should be battling for the top titles. He should be in the Universal or the WWE title mix. So I think he can lose this match, and then you can elevate AJ back up, and you can let Cedric get a good push right now. Let's go Cedric. As our selection to win the U.S. title. Match number five is the non-DQ match. No title on the line. Roman Reigns versus Rowan. Feels like Roman's going to win this match. But this should not have a clean finish. Rowan shouldn't be going over Roman Reigns yet. But Rowan should not be losing. Eric Rowan should not. It's non-DQ. I'm hoping that there's some kind of a schmoz finish. Where... We get somebody interfering, taking Roman out, maybe setting up a further feud. Daniel Bryan's going to have to be involved in this some way, right? Was Daniel Bryan just playing along all all along? This has been a bad storyline with Roman getting hit by the car, with the stuff falling on him. Was it Rowan? Was it not? I hope we can just get past this and maybe move on to the point where we're getting some Daniel Bryan versus Roman Reigns matches. SmackDown men's tag titles, The New Day versus The Revival. I'm going to be pretty heel heavy on this show And I think the Revival should win this match And I think Orton should win the, the WWE title later And it'll give a good chase for the New Day Trying to get those titles back I'd love to see something 
in we're only in September now, but at November we have to have something where it's going to be the new day and someone versus the revival Orton and someone else on a survivor team uh, traditional survivor series match. Let's go with the revival. And I'll I'll pick Rowan in the in the other match even though I don't I don't that's what they should do, but I don't know if WWE will do that. I like what they're doing with Roman right now. The the crowd's getting behind him because they're not forcing him into the title picture. He's kind of at the point where he can get other guys over right now. And and I think the crowd just understands and appreciates when someone's not feeling forced or feeling like they're always in the title picture, then they'll they like you a little bit more. And I think soon you're gonna get Roman Reigns going back in that title picture. Seventh match, the Raw men's tag titles. This will be the first of Rollins and Braun Strowman that we see. They're the champs. They're going to be fighting Robert Roode and Dolph Ziggler. What makes this show a little interesting, Clash of Champions, is with these two particular matches, they could go a couple different ways, right? Rollins and Braun could hold on to these tag titles, and then Braun could beat him for the Universal title, so they have to still defend him. They could lose... These titles and then Braun could win them back I mean there's a lot of different things And I think any of them have A lot of meat on the bones There's a lot of ways you can go But will will WWE go all in And, and tell a good story Which they get a little half assed sometimes Let's be honest I love the pairing of Robert Roode and Ziggler I think they're good together Two guys who haven't been very well utilized Over the last couple years Put them together Feels like their credibility is built a little bit as a team I'm going to say they win this match, Rude and Ziggler, and that Rollins and Braun can't get along, and that Braun walks off and says he doesn't care. He's more focused on the Universal title. So let's go Rude and Ziggler. SmackDown Women's Championship. Bailey versus Charlotte. Bailey, the newly turned heel. She's got to win this right now. She has to beat Charlotte. If she loses this match, I think everything she's done recently has not been good. You can have Sasha help her cheat to win, and you can have. Bailey come out and help Sasha cheat to win. But at the end of this night, Bailey and Sasha should both be the champions. Bailey should be the women's champ from SmackDown. Sasha should be the Raw women's champ. And Becky and Charlotte should both have to chase. And then we can have a couple months of these four in some really fun matches and, and crisscross if need be. So Bailey and Sasha are my selections and predictions. They, that tells the best story. You can't have. Bailey and Sasha at these newly turned heels and then have them lose right away. Put the belts on them, keep the belt on Bailey, tell a better story that way. Final two matches WWE title Kofi Kingston versus Randy Orton. I'm surprised Kofi's been champ for this, this long. And he had his Madison Square Garden moment last week where he came out and relived the big uh, beatdown on Randy Orton. But I feel like this is a good time for Kofi to lose the belt. You have Randy Orton as your champ when you start on SmackDown next month. And then maybe Kofi beats him back for the belt. Or you just go in a different direction. But I think Kofi's had a a nice little run. Maybe you have Orton win this. And then Kofi, Orton, Hell in a Cell. And Kofi can win it back there. I think Orton winning this title is is the better way to go right now. For this story. And then as the other match which is, you know, intertwined with the Rod Madden's tag titles is the... Seth Rollins versus Braun Strowman Can't take it off Seth this early He just beat Brock again You cannot have him lose You can't have Braun lose cleanly 
Let's have somebody interfere in this match Take Braun out And set up a feud with Braun I just didn't like Braun getting put into this feud He shouldn't be in matches like this where he's going to lose You don't put Andre the Giant or the Undertaker in matches Where they just lose like that Unless it's going to be part of a a bigger story Where you have somebody else coming in And that's going to be their next feud And hopefully that'll be the case with Braun Because I think Seth has to win there So we'll go Gulak, Alexa, and Nikki Nakamura, Cedric Rowan The Revival Rudin Ziggler Bailey, Sasha Orton Rollins That's my predictions for WWE Clash of Champions Thanks for listening to this Busy episode of That's What G Said If you can, make sure to head on over to iTunes, SoundCloud Google Podcast uh, Spreaker uh, YouTube Subscribe to That's What G Said Podcast. Joey, my friend, take it away.